So we are working through uh, a course right now called uh, New Testament Survey. Um, so we're doing our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights right now. We have a Bible Institute. Most of you know that. But if you didn't, we got one. We have 645 students as of today. And uh, they're from all over the world. They're, uh, they like our Bible Institute because it's free. And uh, so this doesn't get much better than free. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree. All of it's free. There's 104 courses to choose from. Uh, actually, there's more. There's 110, I think, now. Uh, we added a few. So um, any 40 completed courses will earn you a bachelor's degree. Any 20 completed courses will earn you an associate's degree. And we're plugging away at some of them here on Wednesday nights, which you can just kind of come and hang out and be a part of, audit if you would. You could always sign up if you wanted to get take them for credit, take other courses as well at your own speed and your own time. But we're slowing these down and just kind of working through them together on uh, the Wednesdays and the... Uh, we did a course on the kingdom of God, and now we're going to do this New Testament survey course, which will take us eh, quite a while. Um, we had previously worked through the Bible a chapter at a time, and we, we did eight years of that. We're taking a little break from that. A survey is a little faster than a chapter at a time. So depending on the books we're in, we'll do four, five, six chapters when we get together. We'll probably try and do uh, four or five tonight, although if I get sidetracked, we won't do as many. That's what happened last week. This is the second half of what I was supposed to teach all last week, and I got sidetracked. So, and I may not finish it tonight. So um, we're going to pick up the action this week in Matthew 15. When we were last together, we talked about parables. But we're going to do some of the highlighting now in uh, Matthew 15 through 20. Uh, Matthew 15, a uh, very interesting uh, sort of start. Let me read you the first nine verses. Then uh, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So what's happening here is um, they've, uh, the Pharisees, you know, the issue with the Pharisees was that they, um, they got all caught up in nothing but rules, and they'd lost the fact that this was supposed to be a relationship with God, that God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. They'd moved away from that completely and had just become these serious rule followers, And like ha which happens when you're a rule followers, they've made it impossible for anybody else to come to know the Lord, which is what they were supposed to be doing. Remember, um, Pharisees, they didn't start out in a bad way. Really, uh, they started out 200 B.C., 300 B.C., somewhere in there, what they were trying to do was to protect the Torah from being um, Hellenized. That means they, they, the Greeks were in charge of everything, and their influence was everywhere. And the group, this group, the Pharisees got together. They wanted to protect their, their Jewish tradition and, and the Jewish word, the Torah. And, um, but what they ended up doing over time was they just kept developing more and more rules that needed to be followed in order to do that. And they lost sight of the whole thing. So that when Jesus came, 
uh, he was he was at odds with the Pharisees because he he said you've you've got it all backwards, and he was he was trying to flip it all upside down. And you'll hear Jesus teach, and he'll say, "You have heard it said, but I say to you, he's undoing what the Pharisees had done." Well, the Pharisees over time had so drifted, that, and it was all about rule following now and what they could get out of it. It had become all about them. Remember that. Um, it's pretty apparent from the scripture that the Pharisees actually recognized Jesus as Messiah and still decided to get him out of the way because they didn't like what was going to happen to them. It wasn't like they completely missed it. They got it. And they just decided that they didn't like the package and they, they were not going to let him um, come easily. And so uh, that's how bad this had gotten. Well, in this particular story, they're after uh, the, the disciples for not following their rules. And, and Jesus is like, you break God's commands all the time for your own gain. And he begins to talk about this thing that they had. And in Mark, if you look in the Gospel of Mark, it's actually called Korban. They, they name it. They had this thing. They say, oh, no, that's Korban. And so they were supposed to, the family units back then, the families stayed together. Um, they, they stayed in insulas, which means that um, uh, a family would have a, a, an area of ground, a house, and that is each member, male member of that person, uh, family got married and had a wife, they would add on to that house and make their own house, generally with a common courtyard. And they would live there. Well, as they grew, um, the younger people were supposed to make sure that their their older folks that had gone on before them were taken care of. It was part of the deal. That's how the family operated and how the structure worked. Well, the Pharisees had come along and uh, decided they didn't like the idea of having to honor their parents and support them. And so they came up with a new tradition they called Korban, where they could say, oh, we would like to take care of you, Mom and Dad, but we're going to give that money to the temple instead. That's God's money. We've devoted it to God. It's Korban, and so we can't give it to you. And they, they not only would they not give it to their parents, they wouldn't give it to the temple either. Uh, it was just an out for them to say they were, they were looking right and not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So that's what Jesus was challenging and... and um, He's, he's, he's talking about how they've taken ritual and made it more important than the, the reality of what God actually wants from us and, and the importance of relationship with God and with others. A- and so um, the whole hand-washing thing that they were all upset about had nothing to do with cleaning their hands. It was all ritual. And, and Jesus is saying, you've got all this ritual going and you've missed the entire thing of what, it was, what it's supposed to be like. Remember that... The people of God from the beginning were always supposed to be a way for the nations to come to know God. They were, they were supposed to live in such a way that it was an attraction to the world around them. That's what the commandments and everything were all about originally. It, wasn't this, it, was, a, it was a way of life that was so fruitful and productive and loving that the nations, the pagan nations, would be drawn to this God. But it got twisted um, by rule following in that the thing continually tries to happen into the church. Make it all about rules because, <laughs> unfortunately, it's easier to, we think it's easier to follow rules than it is to engage in relationship. And, and so rather than continually pressing into the Lord and prayer and listening to the Spirit and reading the Scripture and, and, and enjoying this amazing opportunity we have to be in relationship with the living God, we say, ah, just tell me what the rules are, just do that. But the moment we, we slip and we go into rule following, we become miserable people and not very nice to anybody because we can't. See, the problem with rules is you can't keep them yourself. So you, it's, big, it's just a big, huge mess. 
So he's kind of going after that whole thing with that idea of, uh, of that process. So that, that honoring, that tradition, that thing, that was called korban. If it ever pops up, now you know. Because that's like maybe Bible trivia. I don't know where that would ever pop up, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea now why. But now you know, but you'll probably quickly forget. Let's look at Matthew 16, 13. This is a great passage, 3.20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. There is so much stuff in those seven or eight verses that uh, I, I might get. That might end it for the night. We'll see what happens. But uh, let's go. So um, one of the things you see there I, I want to talk about is is the rock, where Jesus said, "On this rock I will build my church." Now, sometimes people think that he was actually talking about Peter because Peter's name means rock. But in, in fact, it's not. Um, uh, what, what's going on is that the rock there is the understanding that came from God that Jesus is the Messiah. And that understanding is what the church will, will be founded on. And, um, and so it was the confession of who Jesus was. And it, it, the, the big thing was that, that Jesus said why it was such a big deal is that God had revealed that to Peter. And so, so Peter had heard that from, from God. He'd, he'd understood that as it was revealed to him by the Lord. And, and, and so um, it's, it's a personal faith in Christ that's the hallmark of all true believers. And, and so that's what was taking place in the process of, of what's going on there. So it's that understanding that's the rock uh, that, that we need to get a hold of. And then he talks about the keys of the kingdom. And so uh, keys are used to unlock and unlock doors, right? And in this passage, Jesus is really talking about the doors to the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and so he's laying here the foundation of the church. And the disciples will be the, the early leaders of this new institution. And what Jesus is doing is, in effect, giving them authority to open the, the doors of heaven and to invite people to enter in. Uh, and... Specifically here, he's addressing Peter, but he's, he's talking to the other disciples as well. And it's fascinating that he, he's talking to Peter about the, the keys uh, to the kingdom of heaven and what Peter does. Because if you remember, Peter's ministry, it's, it's awesome. So when, when you uh, are looking through the book of Acts, you'll see that in the first uh, ten chapters of the book of Acts, Peter is, is the predominant sort of person that's happening there. And um, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And about 3,000 uh, uh, Jewish people are saved that day, plus, plus women and children. I'm talking about a big chunk of people come in. It's in Jerusalem, and it's, it's the Jewish people that he's preaching to. And so, in effect, he had unlocked the door um, with the gospel for the Jewish folks to enter in. 
Then in Acts chapter 8, uh, he, he speaks to the Samaritans, and, and uh, the Samaritans come to know Christ. And so he's unlocked the door now for the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of a mix of uh, Jew and Gentile, which happened during one of the exiles. And, and, uh, so you, and the Jewish people didn't care for the Samaritans because they had a really twisted theology that had taken place in the time of exile. Well, in an exile, what would happen? I think it's important to know this, so I'll say it. Uh, in an exile, what would happen is uh, the conquering army would often displace all the citizens of the area that they uh, conquered, and they would take them back to where they were from, and they would fill that city then with people that they brought in there. And that, that's what had happened in, in Samaria. But um, all sorts of weird stuff started happening, and so they said, we need to bring some of the priests back because maybe they can get God to settle down a little bit. And so they literally brought priests back into this thing, and, and they came up with this sort of mixed theological mess that they had in there, and that's how the Samaritans came around. So they, they uh, when you read about the Samaritan woman, say, well, we have the same you know, father and Abraham and all that stuff. It was this mix that was happening. But anyway, when, when Peter preaches there in Acts 8, um, those people received the Holy Spirit, and so he'd unlocked the door for them in, Samar- in uh, Samaritans, uh, Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 10, what's he do? He preaches to the Roman centurion's household and we, who are Gentiles, and the Gentiles are saved. And so he's unlocked it. So he's, it's really, really cool what's happened, how the Lord uses Peter to do those things. And so the, the keys that he'd been given worked in each case. The keys that open, the, the gospel opens heaven to all who receive it and move into it. Then the idea of binding and loosing is in there. Which a lot of people get kind of, uh, maybe a little off on. But he, the reality is, um, it's, it's still in relation to the keys. And so whatever you bind in earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, and uh, he, he's talking to Peter. And, and in effect, they now have the authority to preach the gospel, which opens heaven to those. And the, um, the expressions bind and loosed were, were sort of um, uh, Jewish legal phrases, if you would, um, and binding was to declare something forbidden, and loosing was to declare it allowed. And so they were, they were saying that, um, uh, you know, what you loose on earth have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus in, in heaven looses the authority of his word as it goes forth and, and for the fulfillment of its purpose on the earth. And so that's what's taking place in the whole process. And so what had been um, restricted uh, not allowed because uh, the, before Jesus had come, there wasn't access, was now open through what Jesus had done and the disciples as they uh, preached the gospel uh, to uh, all those who would receive it. Then in verse 21, so we pick up the story. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Quick pause. Remember, Peter was the one that just gotten a... Just how, you ever feel like that? You really get something like you're on it, and then you blow it, but like the next thing. Peter had just heard from God who Jesus was and figured it out, and like... The next thing that happens, he's completely missed it because he's not paying attention. 
And he starts to rebuke Jesus, like, no, that's not going to happen. And, and Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. You, you need to listen. Verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So um, he talks about the cross and that we need to pick up our cross. And you know that the meaning of the cross really, it, it's death. It was an instrument of torture. It was horrific. And, and um, um, But because of what Jesus has done, and, and now, you know, for us, the, the cross is, is sort of the intersection of God's love and his justice. It has a different meaning for us uh, than it did then. Um, but we're to carry the cross. That means we're to, you know, willingly lay aside our, our own way of doing things and, and follow after him. We want to do it his way, not our way. And so um, all of this is sort of in that picture of carrying this and, um, uh, you know, yielding to him and, and living with him and listening to him. Those things I was talking about earlier that, that make this relationship possible. Then uh, Transfiguration, Matthew 7. This is cool too. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter. Six days later, James, John, and brother James and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Jesus then appeared before, uh, then, just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Jesus came and touched them. Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So, Interesting. So about a week after Jesus plainly is telling his disciples that he's going to suffer, be killed, and raised to life, he takes Peter, John, and James up to a mountain to pray. And while he's praying, his personal appearance was changed into a glorified form. Uh, the scripture said his clothing became dazzling white. And Moses and Elijah appear, and they talk with Jesus uh, about you know his death that's soon going to take place. Peter, not knowing, you know, basically what he's saying, and he's, a, imagine, you know, that would take you off guard a little bit. A, Jesus, who you've been hanging around with, dazzling white all of a sudden, uh, radiant, you know, glorified form, and Moses and Elijah kind of showing up out of nowhere, That right? If Moses and Elijah showed up right now, would that catch your attention? Okay. And, and so, um, in effect, what Peter is saying, you know, let's build some tents. P Peter's saying, let's... I want to stay here. This is awesome, which makes sense, right? I mean, it's, it's Peter. Hey, this is cool. Let's stay here. But uh, the Lord speaks and says, um, this is my son whom I'm pleased. It's important. He says, because he says, listen to him. See, that's important because Jesus is trying to tell them he's got to go and suffer. He's going to the cross, and they won't listen. And God's telling them, you need to listen. This is what's going to happen. It's part of the process. They never do listen very well. But... Uh, 
But this event um, stays with Peter, Jane, and John's forever, James and John, and they all write about it at other times in their ministry and how, uh, how important it was for them to see the glory of the Lord in the process. They, they needed it, and they will write about it in their later writings. John writes it in John 1. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Um, Peter writes um, uh, in 1.16, uh, Peter 1, 16 and 18, we ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so they'd, they'd seen that and it impacted them greatly. Remember, the um, the other thing that's happening there is that when Moses and Elijah show up, they represent the law and the prophets. And uh, in effect, what it's saying is that, that they, the law and the prophets must give way to Jesus. And, and that uh, he's the ultimate fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so that's what's coming there. Uh, I need more than five minutes to talk about the next step, so we're, we're not going to finish. Matthew 18 is all about forgiveness. And, and, and I want to cover it in that way. Because um, there's a big chunk of it there, and people want to break it down to mean something else than it does, but it's the whole thing, that whole passage is about forgiveness. And so I want to look at that together. So we'll look at that together next week. We can wait till next week to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's good for tonight. If you're watching on video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you doing that. Come and join us when you can. And uh, if you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We will pray for you. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.